Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, City of Hamilton could be spending as much as $11 million to get a judicial investigation on the Red Hill Valley Parkway. Also, the city has a new city manager, and Ontario's Integrity Commissioner says that Premier Ford did not break the rules that governed legislators when he tried to hire Ron Tavener to be the OPP commissioner. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Hamilton City Council, we think, is going to be spending a ton of money, maybe upwards of $11 million, but it's to do the right thing. A judicial investigation on the Red Hill Valley will be imminent, we are told. Joining us to talk about this is Laura Babcock, president of Power Group. Uh, Thanks for joining us on a busy day. Good to have you here. My pleasure. Uh, Marathon session. Were you surprised by what you saw and the result? Yes, because I had been speaking to a number of councillors going into last night's vote and they weren't sure how it was going to go. Uh, It was a complex issue. And when you add to that a menu of options... Uh, it can make things even harder to decide. They they do marketing tests where if they give people more than a few options, they start to get confused, right? And so I was concerned that there would be a menu of options for council, that they would get distracted. Uh, there's a lot of hypotheticals, you know, that one to 11 million, 11 millions on the, on the big upside of a large scope investigation. One million is probably closer to what this is. But when you hear numbers like that, it's easy for people to start to make arguments around fiscal responsibility. Um, Also, people concerned about the value of of how long this will take versus maybe a shorter process. So there's a lot of different dynamics, a lot of important discussion. Uh, and so I was watching with, I think, many Hamiltonians with bated breath watching this thing and and all the nuance. And, and I, I want to give council credit because some of the speeches that they made and the dignity with which they conducted themselves. I mean, at one point when um, Councillor Whitehead got passionate about it because of his own experience with what happened with Elliot Lake and the mall collapse, uh, he said, you know, shame on anyone who doesn't vote for a full judicial review. But then later he apologized for it um, to his colleagues. And so there was a sense that they understood the seriousness of this. They understood the optics of this. They understood the need for transparency. Uh, But you could also see some of the councillors were changing their minds live during the council meeting. Uh, So councillors were on their best game last night in terms of how well prepared they were in the speeches and the questions. It was a little agonizing because I, as I sent them a, an email midway through, there are families who have lost their, you know, their mm-hmm. loved ones watching this. Just keep that in mind, right? <laughs> as when it gets a little bit too tactical and getting into things, it can feel a little bit dehumanizing, the conversation. And so um, it was an important night and they deserve credit for making a very difficult decision, but the right one. And I understand, listen, with fiscal responsibility, and, and that's, that's a credo that they should live by to a point. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised that some of the councillors looked at that and as, as a priority over and above uh, integrity, which is really, I think, what the whole thing was about. Well, and the two councillors that didn't vote for it, Lloyd Ferguson and Brenda Johnson, certainly Brenda made that her main reason. Uh, Lloyd's uh, seemed a little bit more obscure. I don't think he made it just about money. Uh, but that being said, it's it's all on the record what they had to say. My comment uh, midway through this to them was, if it's going to be a question of money and how that money is spent... Uh, and we don't go for the full judicial investigation, which is the only one where we see public testimony, where we see complete, complete transparency, not just a summary of findings. Uh, 
if we make it about money and don't go for that, then every other financial decision, whether it's supporting a games bid or another Amazon bid or, you know, supporting the Grey Cup, any other decision that council makes will come under scrutiny and will be juxtaposed to why they didn't do this review. Mm -hmm. So would you really want that pressure hanging over? You'd be like a sword of Damocles if they made money the reason not to find the truth on the Red Hill. And even those that were moving towards what the staff recommendation was, was, was to not do this, the legal representation and opinion that they got on this. They, they, to my mind, anyway, they were missing the point of this whole thing. Uh, that was a, a review that would have been done in private, essentially, and then mm-hmm. we would have seen the report, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this is all about. This is about being open and, and transparent about this, and they didn't seem to get that. Well, it was interesting because... Um you know, some of them, and, I, and I'm and i just going to my own experience, but I know all kinds of citizens were reaching out repeatedly to council. It, it was really, a, it took a village to, I think, move this vote. And councillors also with their own sense of real betrayal and their real experiences with judicial investigations, Clark and Marula and Terry Whitehead were leading this. Um, but there was a lot of citizens who were extremely engaged and kept making the argument to council that this is about lives lost. This is not uh, something that is about, you know, a political party or an ideology. This is about people who lost their lives and the fact that the city lied and people died and there's no price too high to find out why. I mean, that's really what this has been about. And so the idea that legal advice would keep them from doing a full, transparent judicial investigation, that was not going to be a winning argument because lawyers are there to give advice around liability and they a very specific understanding of their role. Counselors are elected officials who are given the responsibility to lead. And it's not just ever, it's supposed to be a triple bottom line approach, right? It can't just be about the financial bottom line. It has to be about the good of the society. And so not going ahead with the judicial review would have led to conspiracies, to bad optics for the city. And as Tom Wilson said uh, last week or a couple weeks ago on the O Show, you can't build a city on a generation of lies. We had to find out what was happening. And I, I want to apply Council for taking the courageous move. It's not just that they didn't see this report. It's that somebody on staff made a judgment mm-hmm. and said, I don't think they need to see this. And this is not just a report that said, hey, we should put a sidewalk someplace or we should put a new play structure in such and such a park. This this called into question the very road that, that, that we're talking about here. And and that's, I think, job one as far as this is going to happen is just the, the review here. Who made this judgment and why did they do that? Well, and it's this has garnered provincial, if not national, attention because uh, there's layers to this. I mean, first of all, there's that first issue of integrity. How can we trust our city that is tasked with public safety um, where we pay tax dollars and we hire experts and we ask for reports and then they find out there's a problem and they keep it from us? Okay, that's number one. Also, there's the broader question of if the Ministry of Transportation was also doing friction tests, and their reports said had similar data findings. Why wasn't that shared with council? And you saw the NDP push for an apology from the ministry yesterday at Queen's Park. So there's provincial interest in this as well. Um, but there's also the question, Bill, that it just you don't have to be someone who follows politics or a journalist to know that somebody who's just one person is unlikely to make a decision of that magnitude, to just hide a report and then to 
continue with this lying, this narrative under scrutiny from Councillor Marula to the staff about what did the report say? Oh, it said better than standard or as good as standard. And then there are other media reports where you have them quoted as saying that the report said, you know, nothing to see here, folks move along. People look at that and say, who let them do that? What culture made them think they could do that? Who sits there and thinks, I'm going to keep this incredibly important information away from people. I'm going to let people drive with their kids on this road, uh, even though people have died and the accidents are, are you know, off the charts. Uh, why would somebody do that? And why would they think they could? And how many people said to them, yeah, yeah, let's bury this. And then why again in 2018? There's something that smells here. And I think everybody knows that who's heard anything about this story. I'm glad you brought up the 2018 thing, because that came to light, of course, that somebody on staff dig- dug this thing up. But And again, bad on them in 2013 for deciding not to show this to council. But who made the decision in 2018? And, and, and we were told the rationalization was because the election was out. So what? <laughs> Is it because it might embarrass somebody before we voted? Or well, maybe that's something we should have known before we voted. Well, that's the whole point, is that is there a political uh, situation behind well, this? Well, es- especially because, as you mentioned, there were provincial information, there was provincial data on this too. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't that made public? Was that a decision made at Queen's Park or was it a decision made here at City Hall? Absolutely. I mean, there are some things about the Red Hill scandal that align with what's going on with SNC-Lavalin and the scam scandal, right? This idea of was there political pressure uh, to, to silence something? to push something down. Why aren't we finding out who knew back in 2013 and endorsed this being covered up? Who knew about it in 2018 and said, hey, there's an election. We we can't bring it up until the new year with council. That is a mighty decision to be making on a low-level staffer. I mean, I think that that doesn't pass the sniff test. Why on earth would somebody think that this damaging covered report shouldn't see the light of day because of of a municipal election? Who are they protecting? And so as citizens, how can we trust our staff or our council going forward until we find out who knew and why did they not think that the safety of your children and my children and our families and our visitors to our city was more important than a municipal election. Why Why did they think that that wasn't the priority? I don't understand, Bill, and I'm glad that council made the right decision so we can watch the live testimony. I mean, we get to watch this. We get to see their body language and decide, just like when we saw Raybone's testimony or Michael Cohen's testimony in the U.S. We get to watch them and say, do we believe them? You know, and, and I think we're going to find out a whole lot here. Uh, and, and there's a lot of risk potentially to staff and maybe to some politicians present and past. Well, especially because the initial reaction from the city council, if you remember, when this mm-hmm. came to light a few weeks ago now, was to do an internal investigation. In other words, what happened within city staff? We know now that it goes well beyond that. Absolutely. Uh, this this may well extend to Queen's Park. Sure. Uh, and and whoever's going to do this review needs to have the latitude to turn over whatever rock they want. And we've seen this happen with the Mueller investigation. Yep. I know th- th- this was the stated purpose of the investigation and the committee, but they've gone this way and this way because they've de- uncovered information that says, well, we have to go down this road now. That so, way may happen. I think it may, it's going to happen here, too. Well, pre- this is a historic, I mean, a major thing. Public inquiries, judicial reviews are not small. Uh, and they require staffing up and they require 
all kinds of extra expense, and they are a big deal. So why go through all of this? Because it is a big deal that there was either a culture, an individual, or several individuals who felt as though the safety of Hamiltonians and visitors to this city was not as important as whatever their agenda was, whatever their concerns were. And and that that is that is a cover-up, that there could be um, some negligence there, if, if not worse than that. I mean, who knows what this will uncover. But I have to say again, you know, when council decided to go ahead with this judicial review last night, they many of them said it was because they knew if they didn't, the conspiracies would never die down, that people would never be satiated, they would never trust council and staff again, and everything that would come forward would be seen through this lens, right? We would be, uh, it's okay to be cynical or skeptical of politics generally, we all should be, <laughs> uh, but this would add a whole new layer of, of a lack of public trust that I don't, I think would have been insurmountable. But what have they opened themselves up to? A bright light gets to go into City Hall, and and that bright light can swing around as it sees fit. Uh, so that was a pretty big risk that they've taken. And I, I'm trusting that they have the integrity around that, around that horseshoe to know that they're okay if that happens, because it's going to happen. I was under the impression, and just a gut feeling that I had, there's probably more than a few city staff that did not sleep well last night after they made this decision. I anticipate that you went actually before this report is even done uh, you may see one or two retirements oh sure i mean look at lav scam look at them falling away <laughs> you know gerald butts and wernick and people want to get out of the way of this kind of a thing coming at them there's no doubt about it um and it, it'll be interesting because every single retirement will be looked at through oh, that absolutely. lens right people are going to be wondering but that's not going to absolve them of culpability uh just because you leave an organization doesn't mean that the history of your actions there aren't something that can be investigated and, and brought up here. I hope at the end of the day that uh, this is just a series of colossal miscommunications and, and foolish mistakes and all, I, I mean, putting the best lens on this was, was just a whole bunch of unforced errors and maybe, maybe people who were just scared of bad news, who knows. On the other end of the spectrum, this could be pretty bad. And as Hamiltonians, I'm sure we will be riveted to watching this review. And we may learn other things about our culture at City Hall that have needed to change for a long time. And if I were a city staffer who had anything to do with any of this, sure, I would be concerned. You know, we might be seeing people getting lawyers today, counselors. Who knows uh, what their histories have going around that and who knew what when. I'm sure they had some loyalties to some staff that might have made this hard for them. When they went into that vote last night, Bill, some of them were not decided. And they were, I'm sure, hoping for a lesser scrutiny. And they might say a lesser expense or a lesser time frame, but a lesser scrutiny. At the end of the day, the citizens of this city, I mean, this is a win for democracy, no matter what. I told that to my kids this morning. You know, they, your politicians are here to represent you. If you let them know consistently and powerfully that they have to do something, uh, they should listen. And they did last night. So it was a good day for Hamilton. And, and even the, for those counselors that said, well, this is going to be a long, drawn-out, uncomfortable process. Yeah, you're right. But it, you know what? If you want to cleanse... If you mm -hmm. want to retain integrity or regain integrity, mm -hmm. you got to go through this. You can't just say nothing to see here. And, Absolutely. And, and that was the attitude that some of them seem to have. That, no, we trust our staff. and I'm sure there was just a screw up here. We need to get to the truth. I mean, Watergate had to happen back yeah. in the 1970s. It was ugly. And it had an impact on the American political scene for years, or some would say for a generation. But it had to happen to restore that integrity to, to, to politics. And I think that whatever ugliness this spectacle may produce is not nearly as ugly as those 800 collisions. I've been in a couple of car accidents, not on the Red Hill, but they traumatize you for life. 
uh, and the loss of those beautiful girls and the other victims mm-hmm. on that highway. I mean, that is ugly. The pain those families feel. You had the mothers sitting in yeah. here with you. You'll never forget their angst and their anguish no. at wondering what happened to their children's lives. So, I mean, that's ugly. Uh, investigation of city processes and people's motivations isn't ugly. That's called truth and justice. More to come. Uh, we'll see how this handles and who's going to do this. But uh, this is not the end. This is the uh, end of Chapter 1, I think. Uh, this is the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Laura Babcock, Power Group. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, the headline story, obviously, from City Council last night was uh, the, the judicial review that we just talked about uh, with Laura Babcock a couple of minutes ago. But uh, a close second behind it was uh, we have a new city manager, or soon will anyway. It was announced yesterday by uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger at the meeting that uh, Janet Smith is going to be the uh, new city manager, assuming she accepts this. And I would think that's going to happen. Uh, she's from the region of Peel, replacing Chris Murray, who uh, vacated the position last year. But some councillors had some serious concerns about the process and, and how this was all going to roll out. Uh, one of them was John Paul Danko, the city councillor for Ward 8 and uh, the West Mountain, of course. And he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show uh, with an update on what's been going on. John Paul, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us again. Thank you for having me on, Bill. Listen, I want to get back to your, your concerns about process in a second. But before that, uh, your thoughts about the, the, the choice here and who's actually going to take the, the job. Oh, I think it's a, it's a fantastic choice. Um, Jeanette Smith is, is by far and away the best candidate for this job, and I am beyond excited to have her as, as part of our team at the City of Hamilton. She's gonna, just going to be um, such a fantastic asset for our city. She has 30 years of amazing experience at Peel, and on top of that, she's, she's a really wonderful person. So I'm, I'm 100% excited about this, this hire, and uh, look, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to the talents and experience that she brings to the city of Hamilton. So it's, it, this is a, a very good news story. Uh, among other things, though, a pretty strong background in health sciences, which is rather interesting given the uh, importance that has in our economy. Yes, exactly, and uh, and also with her work on on public works, which is you know something that's um, you know my my area of interest. So I, I think her talents in in her experience in her career at Peel um, are going to transform her to the city of Hamilton, and um, there's some very huge benefits that we're that I'm looking forward to uh, to working with her on, and and like I said, this is it's an exciting day. It's it's a, it's a great news story for the city. Well, and uh, obviously that was not the only thing you guys talked about last night. And why I've got you, we just uh, did a session here about the judicial review. Uh, how did, in your mind, how did that process unfurl? We, did you have your mind made up before the meeting as to how you wanted to proceed? As far as uh, Red Hill Valley goes, um, no, I hadn't made my mind up. I I was kind of set between the Auditor General's investigation and the Red Hill Valley, uh, sorry, the judicial investigation. And uh, it really took that full discussion through council before I made up my mind. And to be completely honest, before I, I pressed the button on the final vote, I still wasn't sure which way it's going to go. Um, but ultimately, for me, it came down to transparency and making sure that uh, the process that we, we chose to follow has open and public hearings and the public will be able to see the actual interviews. And that was the deciding factor for me, just to make sure that it was completely as transparent as possible. Were you hearing anything from your constituents uh, leading up to this meeting yesterday? On Red Hill? On, this, um, on that issue, yeah. Yeah, mostly uh, the most of the uh, the chatter was uh, online on uh, on Twitter and yeah. such. 
I did receive some emails from constituents, and it was interestingly, it was kind of a mix. Um, there were some that were, you know, there's nothing wrong with the road. People need to slow down and, uh, you know, don't spend all this money. And then, you know, there's also the concern for people were killed on this section of road, and this is a very important uh, decision to make. And so it was kind of a mix there. But uh, ultimately, for me, it, it's not about the money. We need to find out what happened and one of the points that I tried to make last night is finding out facts of what happened is, is important, but we also need to find out what we need to do in terms of policies and procedure for moving forward to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. And then going back to their new city manager hire, um, that's one of the major challenges that she's going to have coming right into this job is she's going to have to um, figure out what those policies and procedures are, and also shepherd the city through this whole uh, judicial inquiry process. So that's that's a huge challenge for uh, somebody brand new to the job coming in. Is, is there a problem with trust now with city staff, I mean, between the councillors and staff, and maybe even more importantly, between the public and city staff? Um, between councillors and city staff, I don't think so. Um, at least not for me, just speaking for myself, the, all of the senior management team um, that I've been introduced to over the last three months have been absolutely fantastic. And, and in particular, I'm going to single out our uh, our uh, general manager of public works, Dan McKinnon. I mean, this is somebody that uh, his his integrity is beyond reproach. And he came into this job in, you know, he's relatively new to his role. And the job that he's done in having to bring this to council and really um, work through all the issues, it, it, I can't even imagine the stress and the, and the angst that would be involved on his part. So uh, I have 100% full confidence in him and his staff. And, uh, you know, having said that, as we move through the judicial inquiry, there could very well be findings of uh, misconduct by um past employees or, you know, some may still be with the city. And that is going to be a difficult um, issue for for our staff that are there now, our senior management team. And again, also the new city manager coming in because that fallout and the, the findings of the inquiry is something that they are going to have to deal with. Well, let's, yeah, we have to let that roll out, obviously. I mean, anything we talk about now is simply going to be speculation, I guess, until we actually get some hard facts from, from what's going on. But I, I'm glad council made the decision they did. Uh, I know the price tag is, is, is high, but I mean, that that's the top limit. I mean, I'm not so sure that that's what it's going to cost. I, I don't know if it, it depends on the scope, I guess, but and once they start, you know, making phone calls and talking to people, it may go that long and we just don't know. But uh, it's it's the right thing to do, I think. And I, I think the word that you touched on here is transparency, and I think that's what people were looking for, and that's what they got with this decision. That's right. And, and again, for I kind of methodically went through the differences between um, a judicial inquiry and an auditor's general report. And on technically, on the technical side, they're very, very similar. The only real difference is that the auditor general interviews uh, witnesses in private, and those interviews aren't made public. The public can't sit in on that. On that. The transcripts of what is said uh, remains private versus the judicial inquiry, which is 100% transparent, the public hearing. So if there's an interview, you can actually go and sit in on that. You can see the person being interviewed. And I think ultimately that's that's what the public wanted. They wanted to make sure that 
the entire process was hands off from the city that we have nothing to do with it once it's turned over to a judge and that um that it's open and transparent and i, I think the on the transparency issue in a lot of ways that's kind of what got us into this problem in the first place is the lack of transparency so it makes sense to go with a process that is as open and transparent as possible. Okay, well, carrying on on that theme, let's switch back to the city manager process, because <laughs> you and I talked about that a few weeks ago, and you had some serious concerns before the the interviews even started about, first of all, how the, the selection committee was chosen uh, and how they performed. In other words, the, the methodology that was gone, that went through. Now, it's from all intents and purposes, and from what you're saying and from what Mayor Eisenberger said, uh, it all came out at the right end. I mean, you've got a great candidate here, and it looks like she's going to take the job, and hopefully things are going to go smoothly. But what have you learned through this process, and what do you think City Council should do to address this process? I think that's an interesting observation, that at, at the end we ended up with a great a good, not just good, a great result. And I think you can argue that for previously as well. You know, we ended up with uh, City Manager Chris Murray. We mm-hmm. ended up with a good result. But I don't think that that um, automatically means that we had a good process. Like A doesn't equal B in this case. And I think it, it was important to make sure that we did have a discussion on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And, and I'm not um, sorry about that. And I think it ultimately that led to a wider discussion on making sure that uh, when we're talking about access, sorry, when we're talking about equity, that there is access for everybody and empowering people that, uh, that make sure that everybody recognizes that they have a place at the city of Hamilton. So that was a, an important discussion to have. And interestingly enough, just last month, um, the mayor had a motion come through that was passed to um, incorporate an EDI lens across the corporation of the city of Hamilton. And as the new city manager, that's one of the huge opportunities that uh, that Jeanette has coming in. Is it'll be up to her to implement that. So I think we've we've definitely moved um, quite a bit on this on this issue, and it was a it was an important discussion to have. Were you surprised that it, that it wasn't part of the debate before? I mean, it would seem to be assumed that it was there, I think, by some of the councillors and uh, and certainly from some of us in the media. But uh, it, it, until you brought it up and Councillor Wilson and, and a few others actually made a, an issue of this, uh, I'm not so sure that it was a priority for them. Well, I, I think I have to give the credit here to Councillors uh, Nan and Councillor Wilson for equity, diversity, inclusion, and also um, uh, gender equity, because... You know, each councillor has their own, um, you know, perspectives on different issues. And until you have those people that are really passionate about certain issues on council, then, you know, those issues, certain issues might tend to uh, not reach the level of discussion that uh, other people would consider that they're worthy of. So I think in this case, we we were fortunate enough to have uh, a couple Councillors elected who really took the bull by the horns and and forced the issue. And I think that was, you know, on their part, that was a really important and bold thing to do. Does it change the the process, uh, John Paul, about the other hiring sorts, so to speak, or appointments that city councillors may have purview to do? Uh, You know, some of the citizen committees, things of that nature, uh, appointees to police services board and some of the other committees like that. Uh, There's been accusations before that it's very parochial. It's old boys club, to use a, a phrase that may actually apply in some cases here. Uh, do you want to look at those uh, those appointments through the same lens that as, as you have for the city manager process? Absolutely. And uh, again, I, I think it's it's not necessarily about 
um, that we're looking for exclusion or preferential treatment for certain people. It's about, again, access for everybody and empowerment, making sure that people see themselves reflected in our organization. And that's something that absolutely needs to be through every uh, hire or selection process that the city does. So, uh, yeah, I, I can say that uh, with full confidence. And, again, um, that's what the mayor's motion spoke to, and that's what where the city of Hamilton is going, and that's something that our, our new city manager is going to implement. Well, and if nothing else, and I, I share your your you know applause for Councillor Nan and Councillor Wilson for talking about this, and yourself for being supportive of this, uh, because I don't think anybody ever thought that. Look, they're doing this intentionally. I think it was unintended. Uh, but it, if if you don't bring it up and make it an issue, then it, it's not front of mind. And if nothing else, uh, I think what this discussion's done is is put this back as as a top priority. I think so, uh, and and it should be a top priority. And I'm very proud of of their work on that. And I was more than happy to support them in it. Well, so all's well that ends well? Or, or, or do you want to see Council Stett looking at this? Now, I, I, I'm not wishing any bad luck on anybody. I hope that the, the new city manager's here for a long, long time and prospers and the city prospers with her in situations like that. But at some point, this process is going to have to be repeated. Uh, how can you ensure, how can this council, not just you, but the council itself, John Paul, ensure that the process will be cleaner and will be more uh, in, in, inclusionary, separate? But there's also an idea about some of the other elements of this process, too, you know, the off-site meetings and things of this nature. Do you still think there needs to be a discussion about that part of the process? Well, I think you kind of raised two points there. So there's the, the hiring and the selection process, yeah. which I think we are definitely moving the, the yardsticks on, no question. And also the political culture there. And I think that's a part that maybe we still have some work to do on. So how do you move forward on that? I mean, now that the decision's been made, you've got a new city manager. Uh, I'm sure some of your colleagues want to say, look, let's talk about that later on. But you just don't know when this is going to happen again. And do you leave it up to a future council to do something like this? Or do you try to enshrine a new process and make sure that it's in place when and if you have to use this again? Well, I think it's about establishing what is the new normal. And, uh, you know, this this whole discussion about uh, gender equity and, and, and inclusion and, and diversity, I mean, it just makes some people very nervous and uh, for whatever reason. But I think in the future, if we are to go through a process like this again, um, hopefully not for a long time, uh, our society is moving forward. So I don't see this being an issue in the future. And, and like I said, our, our city is moving forward on this, on these issues across the entire corporation. So I'm pretty hopeful that if we are put in this position again of, of having to hire, um, you know, whoever it is, the senior management, that those issues that we raised this time around will be fully taken into uh, into account in the future. And, and that's one part of it, a very important part of it, but the, the, the process itself, uh, who actually uh, was involved in the committee, uh, you know, the chairs of, of uh, the various uh, committees, etc., uh, became the, the, the de facto committee for the selection committee here as well. Are you comfortable with that, or do you think that should be addressed as well? Well, that was the bigger, not bigger, but that was one of the big issues for me is to include uh, newly elected councillors and, and also councillors around the table that have different perspectives and different life experiences. So uh, if we are faced with that, uh, you know, striking a new committee sometime in the future for something like this, um, I'm pretty confident that now having had this experience and this discussion today, 
that in the future um, they'll be more willingness to be much more inclusive when those committees are struck. I mean, one of the things that bothered me about that process right from the get-go was that there was a city council making a decision about who was going to be comprising a committee for the next city council. Uh, that uh, that presupposes, I guess, that everybody was was on that council thought they were going to come back again. But uh, I I just feel if it's uh, this council that's going to have to make the decision, this council should make the decision about who actually sits on the committee. Right, and and again, I, I think having had that discussion, um, and if that something similar is to come up in the future, now we're aware of some of the issues um, that now that the, those can be addressed. So uh, I'm I'm pretty. Sh- I'm very confident that as we move forward, we'll learn from this experience and uh, make sure that we improve our processes and make sure that everybody that wants to be included is included. John Paul, thanks so much for the time today. I know you had a long night last night. I appreciate you jumping on today. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me. Take care. John Paul Danko, of course, the uh, counsel for Ward 8. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ontario's Integrity Commissioner, uh, David Wake, has released uh, his report on the Taverner situation, and he has concluded, it's a lack, actually a long report, but the gist of it is this, uh, Premier Ford did not breach any of the sections of the act and stayed at arm's length from the recruitment process, but the process itself was flawed. Uh, this all has to do, of course, with the, Ron Taverner applying for it, actually at one point being told that he was going to be the next OPP commissioner. He has, of course, withdrawn his name, and someone else has taken over the job, but the, the investigation concluded that there was no wrongdoing. A lot of people are shaking their heads at the result of this uh, investigation by the Integrity Commissioner. I want to bring Def Conagher into the conversation, co-founder of Democracy Watch and adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa. Def, uh, busy day in Ottawa today. Thanks for taking some time for us. My pleasure. Uh, first question for you. When an Integrity Commissioner does an investigation such as this, are people under oath, the, the ones that he actually talks to? Yes. Okay. Yes, he has um, the full... Uh, powers of a court to subpoena witnesses and documents uh, as evidence, and uh, when he's interviewing them, they are, um, like a court, required to tell the truth. Uh, We are told, I recently asked that, by the way, because I was going through some of the media reports on this, and they didn't actually clarify that point, so I was just wondering what went on in situations like this. It wasn't conducted in public, and he gave reasons as to why. Um, and it doesn't have to be conducted in public. Police investigations aren't conducted in public either. And of they course. Reach conclusions about whether laws were violated. But he has the full power as if it was a court where, where uh, witnesses can be called to testify and uh, also documents subpoenaed as evidence. Okay, what's, uh, what's your read on the, uh, the result of the report? It's negligently bad. He ignored clear evidence that the provincial ethics uh, law was broken by Ford in two big ways. Um, three big ways, actually, one that we didn't know before, which is that Ford offered Tavener other jobs first. Well, that means that he violated the provincial ethics law because he was offering his friend jobs. And it doesn't matter whether those jobs went through. He offered them to him. And that's a violation of the law, so he should have found that he violated the law for doing that. Secondly, Ford participated in the final approval meeting uh, for approving the appointment of his close friend Ron Tavener as OPP commissioner. There's a clear rule that says you can't participate in a cabinet meeting when you have a conflict of interest. And he had a conflict of interest. And then third, uh, Ford's claims, and the, the his senior staffers back him up, that he didn't participate in other parts of the process, but his senior staff did. 
Dean French, his chief of staff. And we have a concept called ministerial responsibility in Canada. And the clear rule is <clears throat> that when your staff is doing anything, you're responsible as the minister. They're doing it on your behalf automatically. And he just ignores that and says, no, no, it was Dean French doing all this stuff, not Ford, and therefore it was okay. No, it's not okay. When your staff, <clears throat> as a minister, does anything, they do it on your behalf, always. That's the rule. They can't act on their own. But but I can understand to a point, I'm being flippant here, that, that, that he would make that conclusion. Because we've had so many examples in the last couple of years now of, of, of elected officials that ignore that. I mean, Gerald Butts being one, uh, Nigel Wright being another. Then, and their defense was, oh, no, my boss didn't know I was doing this. I was doing this on my own. And, and according to what you're telling me, that's, that's not the protocol at all. It's not possible. And the, this, the uh, minister uh, has to say that you can't do anything on your own, and everything you do, I'm responsible for. You, you can't set up this situation of uh, what's usually called plausible deniability, where the staffer is doing something and claiming the minister didn't know they were doing it. That's why the rule's there, because obviously it would just let uh, ministers off the hook, just say to the staff, make sure this happens, and then the staffer goes off and makes sure it happens, and the, and the minister claims, I wasn't part of that. So he just ignores that concept entirely. He also ignores another rule, um, which has been upheld by the Integrity Commissioner in the past, that ministers can't be involved in things that uh, affect their friends as a parliamentary convention in Ontario. That, that, that is one of the rules that flows from the provincial ethics law. And he, he says the process was flawed and it did favor Tavener. Anyone looking at it would conclude that. Uh, but says Ford didn't do anything wrong, even though his chief of staff is there trying to influence the process, and also Ford offered Tavner other jobs. It's, it's just negligently bad. It's one of the worst reports I've seen by an ethics commissioner in the last 25 years at the federal or provincial level, and I've seen a lot of bad reports. Well, and especially his characterization that Ford stayed at arm's length. Uh, he may not have been in the room, although your point's well taken. He was there for the final selection process and you know, when the decision was made. But I think a lot of people wondered if the decision was made before that was even done, because uh, as you mentioned, not only was his chief of staff in on that, but one of the other people involved in this was Mayor Di Tommaso, and he was appointed by the Premier's office too, wasn't he? Yes. So uh, if, if, if you, you may not actually be in the room, Duff, but if you put all the people in that room that are supposed to make the decision, uh, don't tell me that you don't have something to do with the process and something to do with the final decision. Including having your own chief of staff participating in the process at, at various points. In other it, words, they, it, they stack the deck. Exactly. And so then, again, the ministerial responsibility, the rule says, I'm looking at a federal document right now that says, the minister is accountable for anything done in his or her name by exempt by the staff. And er they do everything in the minister's name. That's why they're there. They're serving the minister. They're the, they're their staff person. So it's just, it's negligently bad. Um, so, so why would, was Mr. Wake aware of this? I mean, there's no reference of it. I know, exactly. He ignores it totally. And, uh, and ignores Ford being at the final meeting. It, Ford violated the law by being at the final meeting. Very clearly. It says you have to recuse yourself when you're in a conflict of interest. That means remove yourself from the meeting. 
He didn't do that. That's a violation. But if you're in charge with an investigation like this, as Mr. Wake was, as the Integrity Commissioner, uh, wouldn't the first job, before you even start interviewing people, is make yourself familiar with the, 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 the parameters of, of the office and, and what the responsibilities and what uh, the, the do's and don'ts are? And clearly he didn't do that, or he ignored them if he did. He just ignored them. This is ministerial responsibility, that concept is, is well known. And Dean French actually told him, that uh, and then changed his line afterwards, but told him that uh, both he and Ford had suggested Tavener, and then later said, no, it was just me. Well, why believe him? I mean, it's balance of probabilities here, and you know that uh, he, he did conclude the whole process was rigged, um, uh, but then says on the balance of probabilities there's no evidence that Ford participated or tried <laughs> to influence it. Well, yes, he did participate in the final meeting, and he had his staff person there trying to influence it. And he appointed the deputy minister, Di Tomaso, uh, as well. So he also tried to influence it in that way. It, the, um, Steve Orsini, the, the uh, secretary to the cabinet, essentially the deputy minister for the, the premier, uh, wrote and, and said, uh, don't be calling this process independent. It's not, what's independent? I'm not independent from the Premier. Mario Di Tomaso is not independent from the Premier. You're not independent from the Premier. So don't be calling it independent. Just say there's no, uh, uh, no one from Cabinet involved on the selection committee, but it's not in any way independent. Duff, this sounds eerily bad. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, I, I'm, I'm shocked that anyone with legal training, which Mr. Wake has, would reach these conclusions based on these facts this and, sounds and the rules. eerily familiar to a discussion you and I had some months ago about the Duffy trial, uh, where uh, Duffy's charged with an offenses, and they say the system is flawed, but the people that abuse the system uh, got walk away. Nigel Wright walks away. Uh, and it's the same thing. I mean, what Wake is saying here is, okay, the system was flawed, uh, and uh, clearly people used that flawed system, but they're, apparently they're not culpable for doing that. Uh, that. That doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, give you another example at the federal level. The former ethics commissioner, Mary Dawson, said it was okay for conservative party ministers, uh, conservative government ministers and MPs, 60 of them in total, to hand out Government of Canada checks with the conservative party logo on them when it violated all the rules. And, of course, it was furthering the conservative party's interests, which in an improper way, because it violated all the rules. And she said, oh, no, but technically the you're okay. You're all right when you're doing that for your political party. And she just made up a loophole in the law and ignored the law and ignored the facts and let them all off the hook. And this is this is equally bad. It's it's just negligent. Who appoints the appoint the integrity commissioner? Well, he was not appointed by Ford. He was appointed in the past by the Liberals. Okay. He has a fixed term of office. He's protected. He can't be fired uh, without cause. <clears throat> meaning he would have to do something uh, criminal, like violating the law himself. And he has a term of, of uh, five years, and he can be reappointed for another five years. And um, the reappointment should not be allowed. It creates this conflict of interest. Uh, I'd have to check whether David Wake is up for reappointment um, now, uh, while Ford will still be in power. But, you know, that would raise an appearance of bias that, that uh, 
maybe he's angling to be reappointed for another five years. Well, sure. I mean, the fact that that uh, is is even out there that they can be reappointed by a sitting government. Would you know? I'm not suggesting everybody would, but at least the possibility that that individual may try to ingratiate themselves to that government so they keep the job. Yeah, exactly. That's the danger. Um, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what year David Wake was appointed, but it's just a negligently bad report. Um, take get away from the Tavener. Uh, appointment, the report finds that Ford was pushing for Tavener to be selected for other government jobs before the the Ontario uh, the OPP commissioner appointment. Well, that's a violation of the law because Ford did participate and try and hand uh, Tavener another job. So you find him guilty of doing that because you're saying if he did participate in getting Tavener the job, that would have been a violation of the law. While in the same report, you have evidence of him trying to give Tavener another government job. So why don't you issue the conclusion that he violated the law when he was doing that? How can, how can somebody in this position ignore that evidence? And as you say, it's there. It's, it's, it's in the report. They've talked about this. Yet he doesn't, he doesn't seem to characterize this as egregious behavior. I have no idea. I, 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 as I say, it's negligently bad. It's not just bad. It's negligent. It's ignoring the facts ignoring the rules, and reaching conclusions that are not based on the facts or the rules. So is this over and done now? I mean, this is the Integrity Commissioner's report that's done. Uh, if somebody is upset about this, uh, can, is there a higher level they can go to, or do we just have to accept this? Uh, I have to check into that. We, the, the big problem is um, the commissioner may investigate. He's not even required to investigate uh, um, a complaint filed with him. He can just ignore a complaint if he wants to. Okay, so that's what that means is maybe, I'm not sure exactly, but at the federal level, uh, it's the same. When a member of the public files a complaint with the federal ethics commissioner, the commissioner may investigate, is not required to. And uh, Democracy Watch years ago, back in 2008, challenged a, a, a ruling by the federal ethics commissioner. We had filed the complaint, and the federal court of appeal ruled that the commissioner, because the commissioner may investigate, is not required to, that the commissioner's ruling was not really a ruling, it was just an opinion. And we can't challenge an opinion in court. So that uh, could mean that he can get away with it, that no one can challenge him in court. But I am checking with lawyers, and if we can challenge this in court, if lawyers believe that we have a right to, we will challenge this in court. Democracy Watch filed the first complaint. Uh-huh and uh, against the, the Ford appointment of, of Tavner. And um, if we can challenge this in court, we will, for sure, because it's negligently bad. It, it cannot be left to stand. It, it, it is the wrong ruling. Well, and if it goes unchallenged, I mean, you know, what's the possibility that a government that's already done this once would continue to do this with other appointments? Exactly. If Ford heads in a Trump-like uh, direction with appointments now, and we look back in, uh, in the future, this is the point in time where uh, everyone will be able to point and say, because the integrity commissioner did not do his job properly and did not uphold the law, he gave free reign to Ford to go ahead and, and uh, appoint all sorts of his friends to, to government positions. That's how bad this is in terms of the implications. I was just able to find very quickly that Mr. Wake was appointed in December of 2015. So his term is up in December of 2020 when Ford will still be in power. Mm-hmm. 
just a uh, year and, and uh, three quarters from now. And um, uh, with this kind of report, he'll be automatically reappointed for another five years. Because Ford will know this is this guy will ignore facts and the law and let me off the hook every time. It's a great guy to have around through till 2022. Well, the other element to this, too, I mean, we're just hypothesizing, you know, that he may want to do this in the future. We don't know that he hasn't done it already. I mean, Tavener may just be one of many examples. Well, Demarcus has filed other complaints. Okay. The commissioner, though, is not required, amazingly, to investigate complaints filed by the public, even though we are the ones who pay for all politicians and employ them. There are employees, but we're not allowed to file complaints and have them investigated by the watchdog, who also is employed by the public. And that's the way the rules go. Uh, we think he actually can investigate, but he, he takes the position uh, that he can't because the rule, the, the law says he, uh, that essentially um, he may investigate MPP complaints, but not, and doesn't say anything about may investigate complaints from the public. And, uh, so we filed other complaints, and he's written back every time saying, I'm sorry, I can't investigate. I can only investigate when an MPP complains. Other MPPs have not filed complaints about other appointments. You know, Ford appointed Jenny Byrne yeah. to the Ontario Energy Board. And the, and the Ontario Energy Board makes rulings about Ontario Hydro, and the Ontario government has a 47% stake in Ontario Hydro, and Ford's already intervened in the operations of Ontario Hydro. So, you know, he's appointing his senior staff person and campaign advisor, to uh, this regulatory board that that rules on uh, something that the Ontario government partially owns, and he appointed his family lawyer to another position, and Mark Swatch filed a complaint about that, and he also appointed a a, a longtime conservative to a position as trade commissioner in Washington, and paid him double what the position was paid before. Uh, and the commissioners refused to look at all, any of those things. I don't. It's possible MPPs filed complaints about those as well. They didn't do so publicly. Um, but yeah, as a result, um, we may see further reports saying the same thing. Well, we'll be watching to see what happens and uh, your response to to the legal action on this too. Duff, thanks so much for the time and for the update and the clarity on this. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'll update to you on further developments. As I well. look forward to it. Thanks again. Take care. Duff Conagher from uh, Democracy Watch. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.